I mean, here's the good news, though, is like <laughs> the real Santas out there are already living in the household with you. So you're fine. <laughs> uh, that's like a fucking terrifying way of putting it. The real Santa is already in the house. <laughs> I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this christmas theme episode, we are going to talk about the science of Santa. We know that seems a little off-brand, but we decided it would be fun to be the science, science Santa sisters. That's false. The Santa science sisters. We thought it would be fun to be the Santa Science Sisters this week, and as we established in our Boogeyman episode, Santa is technically a type of boogeyman. Yeah, so don't add us. <laughs> um, before we get to our discussion, we're going to do our usual something spooky. So Paige, did anything spooky happen to you in the last two weeks? Yes, the ghosts are back. They're back, people. In like a major way. <laughs> in Yeah, probably the worst way so now that the cat's out of the bag and the important people in my life know that i am moving and everything i can finally talk about the people who i've been living with (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) it's been real sketch trying to keep this under wraps (laughs) (laughs) um so i've been living with friends and me and my friend's fiance were sitting in the living room one day and it was like just the two of us the pets were all asleep in the living room with us Uh, my friend was gone like nobody else was here and we're both sitting there on the couch chatting and then like all of a sudden we hear what sounds like somebody running up the stairs and like I kind of thought maybe I was just hearing things and so I looked at him and then he looks at me and I'm like did you just hear something running up the stairs and he was like yes that must be the ghosts (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, funny, sure, but also kind of terrifying. Also, we've now had an entire bag of bagels go missing. And like, yes, there are plenty of ways they could have fallen in the trash for all we know. But like, maybe also they've actually gone missing, which makes me think that like somebody is like living in the attic or something. (laughs) Your greatest fear. Right. It's about to be realized I, is that, yeah, somebody was trying to come down the stairs and then was like, oh, shit, there's people here and went up and, well, and like, and now they stole the bagels. Literally, I don't even know if there's an attic here, to be honest with you. They may not even have an attic, but like, yeah, I mean, they do. Yeah, I guess I've seen <laughs> pictures of the house. I feel like there's probably some sort of attic, but yeah. Maybe I should warn Sarah not to listen to this part of the episode. <laughs> so I don't her freak about her this. out. Oh, I mean, she knows about the footsteps, but she doesn't know that I've like the theory that somebody's living yeah, in the house. That I've created a theory that like somebody is here. I mean, I don't yeah. think she'd be surprised by it because it's not the first time I've been worried about this in my lifetime. But <laughs> um, okay, I have a a couple questions. So I, I mean, like, yes, I think it's not. I don't think it's a ghost. I think it's. <laughs> Sadly enough, more likely to be a real person living in the attic. <laughs> but so you said all where were all the pets? Like you said, all the pets were in the room with you. They were in the living room, and all three of them were asleep. Okay. And you guys, did you like get up to check if like because like I mean, okay, no, we like, didn't get up to Corey, check. Yeah, you're <laughs> supposed to check. You got to do some debunking, man. What have we been playing all this phasmophobia for? Um. <laughs> you because like here are my thoughts like they have a kid and they've got pets so like could it is it possible that it could have been like something that was like precariously perched on the stairs and then like managed to tip finally and just went thump 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 like down the stairs you know what i mean yeah i mean that's certainly possible yeah or could it have been like something running up the roof above where the stairs are because like squirrels in our house are surprisingly loud sometimes on the roof it it was it came from the basement up not like from the living room up oh so the okay i was picturing this like stairs to the second floor not stairs from the basement yeah so it would it could it probably wouldn't have been something on the roof but like okay it, it very well could have been something that like you said just like fell off the stairs right like it like because you said like the the cat's litter boxes are like down the stairs so i my question would be like was it something that was like a toy or something that was sitting like right on the edge of a stair and then it finally just fell yeah that's totally possible i'm gonna stick with that yeah i mean we didn't look so like i can't even say one way or the other if that's even a possibility but <laughs> I wasn't gonna look. <laughs> Fuck that. Kenny would be very ashamed. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to figure out what burger I was getting for dinner. I had important well, things to I mean, think that about. That is crucial. So that's the spooky thing that happened to me. Okay. Um, the other spooky thing, which like I guess isn't really spooky, but it's it's holiday themed, is that the naughty and nice list came out. And mm-hmm. literally everybody in my life is on the nice list, except for me, 
I am the only one on the naughty list, and I do not know what I've done to deserve it, but I'm not happy about it. Um, well, we just talked about how you were like, you know, not telling people for however long that you were about to move away. So, yeah, so maybe it's like, oh, you <laughs> monster. Uh, that's all that's happened to me and megan's on the nice list so good for you uh um all right so anything happened to you megan the last couple of weeks no the only thing spooky that happened is that sarah sarah i was looking at it in the notes Paige typed my name as sarah in our notes um and yeah, like marking where I would talk about my something spooky. So I'm spooked out that Paige doesn't even remember who I am anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> fair enough that I called myself Paige last episode that we recorded. So I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> and I just you called did you this. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh i think that's it for something spooky so we can go on to santa science which we're very excited about which again to reiterate you know we mostly do scary things but i think santa firmly falls under the sort of paranormal strange unusual umbrella and is yeah like we said technically is a boogeyman because he is something that parents use to get their kids to behave. <laughs> right. In like what's supposed to be like a nice sweet way, but like if you think about it, is a little weird. And especially oh. now that this whole like elf on the shelf is involved, it's gotten Elf on the shelf creeps me out. Yeah. Like that's like, yeah, Santa's minion or whatever, keeping an eye on you until Christmas. <laughs> which is it's it is a little creepy if you really think about it yes like hey kids here's this elderly man who lives in the north pole and he's keeping an eye on you all year round (laughs) 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 it's a little problematic uh yeah so i guess if you are under the age of circa seven to nine cover your ears but also probably you shouldn't be listening to this podcast (laughs) but (laughs) Paige, when slash how did you find out that Santa wasn't real? So I thought about this because honestly, I I can't say that I remember exactly when I found out Santa wasn't real, but I do remember a couple of things about like Santa and the Tooth Fairy and that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, I do remember in grade school, I don't know what grade I was in that I had a friend tell me that the tooth fairy wasn't real um, and told me that if I didn't believe them, that I just needed to like look because my parents like definitely had like a cup of my teeth somewhere. Uh, Cause that's apparently what parents do is save your teeth. So, and, and he told me that like he found his, so like he knew that that tooth fairy wasn't real. So okay. I remember that was like the first time I started kind of like questioning it or was like feeling pretty sure that that you know all of it was fake but uh the thing that I remember like to this day really giving it away or like certainly didn't help like try to you know keep the spirit alive was anytime my dad 
which for those of you who know my father, like this won't surprise you. Anytime he said like Santa Claus or reindeer or Rudolph or elves, he would laugh. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> like he would giggle because he thought it was funny. Um, so, I mean, by the time I was like questioning if Santa was real or not, like just talking to my dad about it, like kind of confirmed it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't it, really like remember like a defining moment or like an age where I was like, oh, Santa's. Okay. Fake. Okay. What, what about you? Yeah. So I figured it out, which is funny that you mentioned the tooth fairy, but I figured it out because of the tooth fairy as well. <laughs> uh, I was. I think I was about eight. Maybe I was still seven. I think I was. I think I was eight, though. Uh, but I had lost a tooth, and my parents, whoever it was, I think maybe they like did it on purpose because they wanted me to figure it out. Slash, like we're just tired of the <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> but they claim that uh, one of them forgot to be the tooth fairy. Uh, and once it reached like night three or something, I was basically like a little bit crushed about it and was like, the tooth fairy isn't real, is it? <laughs> and oh. then it was like <laughs> within uh, within like a day or so of that, I was like, wait a second, mom. If the tooth fairy isn't real, is Santa not real either? Oh. <laughs> and I can remember, like, yeah, talking with her about, like, well, why do you guys do Santa then if he's not real? And, like, you know, what do I do now? <laughs> I don't believe in Santa. <laughs> so I remember being, like, kind of disappointed about it. But, yeah. But not, like, upset or anything. Right. So it didn't. didn't crush my worldview um but i do like distinctly remember it was because they forgot to be the tooth fairy so then it like just shattered my illusion of all of these <laughs> see that's so funny my parents like they were pretty bad about the tooth fairy thing too like they would always forget to give us money um and my mom says that they remember like several times where i would come downstairs and be like oh the tooth fairy forgot about me and oh. then like that one of them would like nudge each other and the other would run upstairs and be like are you and then they'd come back down and be like are you sure you should go check and like oh i'd go oh. up and surprise there would be money <laughs> that's cute <laughs> <laughs> it worked for a while i just like oh yeah weird yeah, tooth fairy must Heard me and felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some sort of like weird folklore about the tooth fairy out there. Uh, yeah, or I guess I have no idea if that's like some sort of Western slash American invention fueled by capitalism. It's yeah. unclear. I don't know much about the tooth fairy. No. Uh, okay, so I think I'm gonna kick us off if that's okay and talk about uh why why do kids <laughs> believe in santa and uh, a little bit about uh if it's any good for them sound good that's perfect great okay so most kids believe in santa until they are about seven to nine years old i saw different numbers depending on the sources that i looked at uh and 
I think this was just in the U.S., but 84% of adults in a survey done in 2011 said that they believed in Santa as a child. And that belief, simple enough, comes from your parents, right? Your parents tell you about it and they are the ones that perpetuate, you know, the folklore and, and that he's leaving stuff for you. So that's where they get the idea. I did think it was interesting that apparently being exposed to more Santas, like seeing several different mall Santas or like other live Santa encounters, despite the fact that you would think that that would clue kids in because they're all slightly different. Right. They actually say that it makes children more likely to believe that he's real. And this is according to a study that was published in the Cognitive Development uh, Journal. So, and I didn't have time to like go and look closely as to why that is or why they think that is, but I thought that was really interesting. But also the study has the best name. The, the title of the paper has the best name. It's Ho Ho Who, Parent Promotion of Belief in and Live Encounters with Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I definitely picked the wrong branch of science because I don't get to write articles about Santa Claus. I was really surprised how many there were. Yeah, yeah. And and funny because I think one of the things I read said, you know, there's not that much research or whatever on Santa Claus. And I was thinking there's a lot more than I thought there would be. Though, right. I'm shocked that there's any research on Santa <laughs> right. Claus. Right. And like legit, like by child psychologists and stuff like that. But so so kids believe in Santa because of their parents and stop believing around the age of eight. And according to this renowned child psychologist, Jean Piaget, Piaget, I don't know, proposed that children uh, enter what they call a concrete operational stage at that age. Uh, means that they are more critical and more observant and they will question impossible things. Uh, and this was apparently seen very clearly in a study that was done where they asked children to list questions that they had for Santa rather than like, you know, just telling them what toys that they wanted. Mm. And younger children that were below this age, and I think it was like closer to the age of four, tended to ask questions like, how cold is the North Pole? And like, what are the names of your elves? <laughs> Whereas older children uh, would start to ask questions like more logical questions about like how he was actually doing these things. Like how do you fit inside of a chimney um, or how do you manage to visit everybody? So it's like this cognitive shift that's happening around that time. So it makes sense that kids stop believing at that point. Right. That's cool. Sweet. Yeah. So one thing that I came across and like admittedly one thing that I sort of worried about myself <laughs> was like the parents are understandably a little bit worried about like they're essentially lying to their kids <laughs> that Santa is real and they're worried about, you know, whether or not it's healthy to do that. Uh, but rest assured, uh, so there's a 1994 study in child psychiatry and human development where they interviewed children who no longer believed in Santa Claus and found out that 
most times they felt uh, they had positive feelings or even felt pleased about learning the truth. And it was the parents that were more sad that their kids had figured out the truth. <laughs> that's going to be me. Yeah. Oh, that's for sure going to be me. It's going to be a sad day <laughs> when it's like, oh, you're not little enough to believe in Santa anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they argued that or, or said that children as young as the age of three uh can understand the concept of a white lie. So they understand that it's not like a malicious thing that their parents are letting them believe or making them believe in Santa. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine that if we found out in the um, boogeyman episode that like it's, I guess, important or it's good for children's development to have like that boogeyman to to kind of focus some of that fear and like help manage that as a kid. Like I can't imagine believing in Santa Claus is going to be like detrimental to you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that the boogeyman was kind of like (laughs) inevitable for kids because it's partly how they learn to like compartmentalize fear and yeah. So who knows? So, yeah. So Santa's just like a kinder version of it, basically, <laughs> that parents perpetuate. So importantly as well, like parents worry about, you know, am I hurting my kids? Um, so A, am I like, you know, making them upset when they find out the truth about Santa? But B, am I somehow like hurting their cognitive development or something like that by making them believe in this fictional character? Uh, so there were studies or experiments done at Harvard that were published in 2006 in the Developmental Science Journal, which noted that kids make distinctions between beliefs in folkloric or fantasy or fictional characters like Santa Claus, like the Easter Bunny, um, versus their belief in scientifically established things that can't necessarily be seen with the naked of, naked eye. So the example here is that kids are basically just inherently less certain about their beliefs in things like Santa or things like the Easter Bunny or Tooth Fairy than they are about things that are scientifically established like oxygen or germs or gravity or whatever. Like they're, they actually believe those things, whereas they, yeah, they're not as sure about Santa. So, yeah. So even though like... They believe kids are more skeptical, I guess, than you think they are. Uh, and I read this article from UT News, which I think is University of Texas, uh, by Jacqueline Woolley, called Is Believing in Santa Bad or Good for Kids? And I really loved her take of it on it. So she said, okay, there's not a lot of research on benefits of believing in Santa. Although like we mentioned, there's a lot more research about how believing in Santa works for kids than you'd think there is. Uh, But we know that there is research out there that indicates that there are benefits to kids having vivid imaginations. And she says that belief in impossible things might, and this is a quote, exercise children's counterfactual reasoning skills. 
And another quote, engaging the border between what is possible and what is impossible is at the root of all scientific discoveries and inventions. So essentially what she's saying is that, uh, and she, she says this, this statement that, that children are little scientists, which I, it's the second time that I've heard that recently and I love it. And it's like totally true. Like living with a toddler, she's always testing things, <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> things out. Like that's just how they operate in the world. So she says that it actually usually like believe stopping believing in Santa is not an instant thing. It actually usually takes some kids, takes kids some time to become more uncertain and, uh, you know, they're starting to look for evidence. She said some of them might even set up experiments to try and like catch Santa in the act or like figure out if he's really visiting their house. And she encourages parents to just embrace that, like embrace that creative energy, embrace that natural tendency to experiment or like engage in their own little scientific (laughs) investigation and you know if they figure it out let them like feel proud about it and you know give them a high five whatever Uh, and she even mentions like you could even help them along by like instead of disguising your handwriting on the from Santa presents, like just use your regular handwriting or put a few of those ones beneath the tree the night before to like see if they notice. So basically just it's not bad for kids. It's good for kids to be creative. It's good for kids to have an imagination. But like when the time comes. But when they start trying to figure it out, like don't. Yeah. Like just like it's fine to spur them on a little bit it's fine to make them feel good about the fact that they've figured this out and like find other ways to to make it fun especially if like they're older siblings then they get to be involved you know with the secret with the younger kids which i imagine would be fun so that said (laughs) that that makes it less sad that makes it less sad yeah right when it's like good job like you figured this out like that would make me feel good um so there's always a party pooper in these situations. So one of the other <laughs> oh, articles gosh. that I came across was this Washington Post article uh, that was called Your Kids Believe in Santa? A Scientist Says to Tell Them to Stop It. <laughs> and so this is from <laughs> womp, a scientist. I know. This is from a scientist named Kelsey Johnson who is an astrophysicist and a member of the board of the American Astronomical Society, as well as like various other fancy organizations. But she argues that because the state of scientific literacy in the United States is so dismal that it's detrimental to basically just like... (laughs) add something else fake for kids to believe in like i don't know to encourage kids to believe in things that are not real uh and she does cite a couple polls or studies that had been done that had uh, i guess suggested that a third of millennials were not sure that the earth is round mm-hmm. and that more than half of young adults in the US think that astrology is science so i mean yeah like that's 
that's painful. And like we are literally living right now the effects of people not believing in science. <laughs> so sure, but like to but like Santa Claus isn't doing this to people. Right. Yes. Me telling my kid that Santa is real <laughs> doesn't mean that they're <laughs> going to believe that the earth is flat. Right. I'm on your side. Like, I <laughs> was raised in a Santa household and, like, I'm fine now. <laughs> I feel like I've got perfectly good reasoning skills. And I also feel like I have a pretty strong, like, creative, artsy side. Like, I did a lot of music and theater and stuff when I was a kid. So it's like, who says that the Santa stuff didn't contribute to that? But, right. okay. So, yeah. So she acknowledges. Basically, everything that I talked about before that, you know, there are studies that, you know, suggest that it isn't detrimental to children's critical thinking skills and to their development to believe in Santa. Although at one point she's like, uh, regarding the critical thinking skills, she just says, oh, I don't buy it. (laughs) Um, And it's like, well, (laughs) here's the thing. (laughs) Like, I know that she means well, and like I do, I know she's taking this sort of radical stance and stuff and, and is doing so with her children. But like she's not a child psychologist, she's an astrophysicist. So, right. Like, I, I guess I would just say, like, it's not like it's her specialty. So, like, take that opinion with a grain of salt. I don't think you're going to scar your kids. Uh, she does have some compelling points, though. So, she talks about how. Um, that research shows that pronouncements made by authoritative adults, which th- they give the example of parents, teachers, people like that, cause a decline in children's critical thinking skills. So what this means is that kids basically just take what adults tell them about how something works or how the world works at face value. And if they're just told how something works or told how something is, it decreases the chance that they will investigate on their own. It makes them less inquisitive. Uh, And this is, she also gives the example that children, related example, that children who are raised in religious households are less able to distinguish fantasy from reality. So this would potentially imply that, you know, just telling them, yeah, Santa's real and he's got these, you know, elves and flying reindeer and stuff actually may inhibit their critical thinking. But then it's like that kind of flies in the face of like everything that we just talked about. The kids are naturally going to start investigating more when they hit that cognitive shift. (laughs) I think there's a difference between saying there's a Santa and there's reindeer and, and then making up a story as to how it works and expecting your child to believe that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like once they start asking the questions of like, well, like you said, how, how does Santa fit down the chimney? Well, that's that's when the lies stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Or I would argue that there are ways to make it work that are going to be good for your kid. Like one of the cute uh, articles that I read from the, it's the Idaho Museum. Let me look at my notes real quick so I make sure I attribute this correctly. From the Museum of Idaho, uh, they have this little PDF called The Science of Santa Claus, but they talk about 
you know, the possibilities of how Santa would travel to everybody's houses so fast. And then they list off um, all of these other questions you could ask, like, how does he fit down the chimney, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And basically says like, oh, what explanations can you come up with? So it's like, yeah, just like at the point that your kid starts to ask questions about these things, like maybe just turn it around and say, well, what do you think about that? Right. <laughs> you know, right. and then it becomes a critical thinking exercise. And I would argue sort of negates anything problematic there. Well, so, I would argue like it becomes like a positive experience, a positive learning experience. Like it doesn't right. just, it doesn't just negate some of the bad that could come with it. I think it turns it into something good. Right. Right. And this is like with the caveat that like Kelsey Johnson, we are not child psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, um, she also disregards the idea that belief is belief in Santa is good for children's imaginations uh, because studies have shown that children who are actually better able to dif- differentiate between reality and fantasy also tend to have better imaginations. So... Yeah. So kind of like it's basically the opposite of what um, the Jacqueline Woolley article said, that it's like good for kids to have vivid imaginations. But I'm pretty sure Jacqueline Woolley is like actually a child psychologist. So I feel like she's the one that I would trust. Yeah. (laughs) In this case, I'm Googling it right now to check. Um, So she's a professor. She's a Ph.D. Yeah, she is so her her research um her her research interests are listed as conceptual development in preschool and and elementary school children, concept of mind, religious cognition and the fantasy reality distinction. So I feel like I trust her <laughs> when it comes to Santa. <laughs> like she <laughs> literally has a PhD in it and yeah. So anyway, my point being, I'm not going to shit all over Kelsey Johnson. And to her credit, you know, she doesn't go all doom and gloom. She she does just suggest like, oh, if your children, you know, start to come up with questions or they start to question things, like basically she's, she, she suggests the same thing. She says, encourage your kids to like come up with experiments to see if Santa is real. And then obviously praise them for you know when they figure out the truth and make that a happy thing not a sad thing that they don't believe anymore but yeah I just I I wrote down a few thoughts about this so I was just thinking like this is sort of like the perfect example of (laughs) like (laughs) the two sides of the various paranormal things that we talk about on this show like yes you can be a hundred percent a skeptic and you can draw this hard line when it comes to anything paranormal or like in this case you can be kelsey johnson and you can say nope don't let your kids believe in santa it's not good we need people to you know be critical thinkers and and have good scientific literacy and letting them believe in fake things is bad for them um but i would argue 
Yeah. Like, I think I trust the child psychologist that it's not detrimental. I think it's fine to have some fun. Like, I don't really believe in ghosts, but, like, I really like talking about them. And I like thinking about what if they were real or how could they be real. And I love ghost stories and would, like, happily visit haunted places and do ghost hunts and stuff. And I don't think that that makes me, like, less of a, I don't know rational person (laughs) well and it gives you the opportunity to critically think about it and say well these are the reasons i don't believe that they're real yeah just like little kiddos and santa claus yeah i think santa claus is a good thing for kids i mean like you said i'm no i'm not a psychologist at all let alone a child psychologist but like yeah i'm gonna go on believing that if i have children teaching them about santa claus is the right thing to do yeah we're like a hundred percent a santa household (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we're a hundred percent gonna be a santa household and i just like (sighs) the world is hard enough for kids like just let them believe in something silly and harmless and that there's a nice old man who brings them gifts from the north pole (laughs) right (laughs) With his I wish I still believed in Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is like a good question though. So yeah, I <laughs> I that's like the number one problem that I have with most holiday movies that involve Santa. Like Elf is like this. Um I mean the Santa Claus with Jim Allen is like this. So Santa ends up being real in these. And I just think, where did the parents think that these presents were coming from? Right. Right. <laughs> like, are no, we supposed I've to just, like, thought. no one's ever explained that. Like, are we just supposed to believe that maybe, you know, one of them thought that the other one was putting the presents under the tree? Maybe. Yeah, I guess. But I've had the same question. Like, yeah. It would be different if it was like, you know, household by household, this household, everybody in the household believed in Santa Claus. Right. But. Yeah. yeah. In movies where it's like the adults don't believe and then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, Santa's real. What what do you think was happening this whole time? Right. (laughs) Who's bringing these gifts? (laughs) Who's doing this? So anyway. (laughs) Right. That that's a question I have. That is a a question that I would challenge some movie or show to tackle. Cuz yeah, I good luck know. with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I you're need right. Some like, answers. It's got to just be that the other parent is thinking that the other parent is getting the gifts. Yeah. But what about but I, like, like single parent to explicitly say that? <laughs> State yeah, that. exactly. What do single parents do? <laughs> oh, shit. Someone there's must have dropped of... these off. <laughs> but it wasn't There's Santa. a lot of loopholes here. <laughs> uh, okay. So that is belief in Santa, which took a little longer than I thought. But long story short, just let your kids believe in Santa. That's my rubber stamp. I'm not an expert, but I read (laughs) a few different perspectives and 
I think it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about Santa's real. How does he do what he's doing? Well, yeah, we're going to sort of pretend Santa's real. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you he's not. Um, (laughs) So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is how in the world would Santa deliver all of these presents? And um, I mean, like essentially how much time does he really have to do it all? So um, I will say that I read, I think, three, three or four different articles about this. And all of the math was like slightly different in each article. Like they all had slightly different numbers about how many children there were and like the exact percentage of how many of those households would celebrate Christmas and the average of like everything was just like slightly different in each article. Um, And like the math didn't add up in every article either um like i went in and calculated some of them and it didn't it didn't quite add up (laughs) which i found really funny (laughs) when you were like uh the math just isn't right in that article and i was like what do you mean the math isn't right and you're like i did it i calculated it i was like what (laughs) i just needed to know Um, they just way more committed to the cause than I am. <laughs> I need to know about Santa. I took the numbers from the Gizmodo article that I read. And like I said, admittedly, I know that the math isn't perfect. I, I know this. Um, but it's it's all very close. Like all the articles I read, the math was really close. And even when I calculated out, it was close. So I'm just going to go ahead and kind of ballpark it with what they had. Um, so they say yeah. that. I mean, here's the thing. I feel like I have had to go in and from like scientific papers recalculate the math that people did and I would say it usually takes me like I don't know five tries to get it perfectly right because of like rounding errors or you're using like a slightly different constant or something like that so yeah so point being like I would not be surprised if like you know the numbers that they used like they didn't perfectly report them back or whatever so if it was yeah close, I think that's like, what I would it say is that's- that's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's like, I mean, even in the article, it says there's about 2 billion children and there's about 15% of those. So I think it's, they're kind of throwing out just round, nice round numbers. Um, right. For the article, whereas like maybe for the actual math, they did like 2.3 right. billion or something like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what they say is that there's about 2 billion children. Um, and, and keep in mind, this article, I think was for... For maybe it was six years old, 2014. So, I mean, the numbers have likely gone up, but at that time there were two, about 2 billion children. And um, they say, you know, about 15% of those children live in households uh, or live in Christian households. So, about 15% of those children are celebrating Christmas. Now, um, my thought on this is that it's likely higher than that because, I mean, I don't live in a religious family and we always (laughs) celebrated Christmas. Um, But we'll go with the low ball number of 15% of those, those that 2 billion kids um, are celebrating Christmas. They then say that at that point um, there's a, there there's about an average of three and a half children per household, which like is insane to me (laughs) because yeah, I guess that's a lot of kids places are having a lot more kids and I, well, yeah, to that end, though, even though this is six years old, there might be about the same number of kids because people are just having less kids now, more and more. That's fair. So, That's fair. Yeah, so I think I had Santa's read... job easier. 
Well, no, it'd be making jo- Santa's job harder because it would spread the kids out, right? Because if it's the same number of kids, but there's just less per. I don't know. Well, no, I guess you're right. It would make it easier. Never mind. <laughs> it wouldn't really matter. It's the same amount of households. Yeah, it's just yeah. less kids. That's true. <laughs> that statement doesn't make any sense. There's just less kids. It doesn't make it any easier. It just means it's not getting any harder. Right. <laughs> 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 we got there um, but also yeah like you said even having more kids probably wouldn't be harder because like there would just be more kids in each household this right. is really dumb we should this is dumb <laughs> <laughs> this is the last so, thing we need to be focused on <laughs> okay go <laughs> so average of about three and a half children per household um, and so they say that's about 91.8 million homes that Santa would have to visit um assuming which i mean i think this is everyone's assumption is that santa would be traveling east to west um with the different time zones that's 31 hours that santa would have to hit 91.8 million homes (laughs) yeah and that's like with all the yeah time i don't even know if i could count to 91.8 million in 31 hours um Ooh, I don't know. That would be math to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So according to the Gizmodo article, that would mean for each household that celebrates Christmas, assuming that they have one child on the nice list, which even that. Damn, only one third of the kids made it (laughs) up. Nice. You're right. Assuming that every, <laughs> basically every Christian household has at least one nice kid, okay. um, it would re- it would mean that Santa would have to make 822.6 visits every second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could stop there. You know, like 822.6, yeah. 820 visits per second. Um, they go on to say that that's one one thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the presents, eat whatever snacks have been left behind, get back up the chimney, get back into the sleigh and move on to the next house. One one thousandth of a second. BFT. <laughs> 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 I could eat the snacks that quickly. Yeah, I mean for sure. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. So, yes, like Santa would have to have he only has a 1000th a of a second and I think another number that I saw was like 223 milliseconds or something like that to visit yeah. each house. So that's pretty fast. Uh, But I read a couple other sources. So a few places mentioned basically concepts surrounding Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, And then there was another thing that got into like some sort of like quantum entanglement thing that I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) theory of relativity and this idea of time dilation So Einstein said that the faster an object moves, the more 
time around that object slows down. So basically time gets warped around that object. And it's basically like it's the interstellar shit. (laughs) You saw that movie like where they're by the black hole and only, you know, because the gravitational field is so large, like only an hour passes there, but it's seven years on Earth. So basically in this concept, if Santa was moving so, so fast, then time around Santa would be slowed down or time would be moving more slowly for him. So, you know, that's an idea. It's, that is and an that's idea. about the point where I was like, oh, God, this is this is blowing my mind. <laughs> so that's actually a great time then for me to talk about, like, how quickly could this sleigh actually move? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he would have to be moving pretty fast for this to be a thing, right? And we know yes. now that, like, he would also have to be moving very fast to even hit, like, I don't know any of the houses really right (laughs) so (laughs) how quickly could this sleigh actually move oh here's another theory okay before you do this here's another theory maybe santa is real and he has 31 hours to visit all the nice children but maybe there just aren't that many nice children and the rest (laughs) of the kids are getting their presents from their parents pretending to be Santa and like only a few are getting it from the real Santa. They have to be like super nice. Yes. You're basically starting a whole new religion right now. (laughs) 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 Yeah. That's my other theory is he, he's only visiting like, you know, 30 kids or something. (laughs) That could be possible. He doesn't have to move that fast. Or maybe (laughs) He like splits up the world and like <gasps> there's this multiple year... Santas. Yeah, or he splits up the world and like yeah, some some years yeah you get real Santa and sometimes you don't. Or yeah. yeah, there's multiple Santas like and they all go out to different parts. See, I have thought about that. Yeah. That would that I could believe a little bit more. Yeah. Well, a lot more than one Santa. <laughs> Like so Which is much essentially more. what's happening. Like the parents are Santa, right? Right. Like they're basically just are a bunch of Santas. Yes. Which brings me to maybe my biggest shame, but I know that Stephen <laughs> would be very sad if I didn't admit this. <laughs> so, it's my favorite Megan story. Yes. So it took me until I was, I think I was 26, maybe I was 25, uh, to figure out that. The mom in the song I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus is not just like a hoe bag making out with Santa Claus. That dad is Santa Claus. (laughs) 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 This is because like when I was like 25 or 26 years old, I was like, this is kind of a fucked up song. Why is the mom like, why is this kid singing this cutesy song about mom like making out with a dude who's not his dad? And Stephen was like, Santa is dad, you idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was well into my PhD when this happened. So, it happens. you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Moving so, forward, how does Santa go so fast? <laughs> or can he um, go so fast? <laughs> no. 
Um, so this is it's still taking from that same Gizmodo article. They talk about reindeer a little bit. And so they state that, you know, there's no known reindeer species right now that can fly. Uh, they do say that that being said, that there are hundreds of thousands of living species that have yet to even be classified. So it's not impossible that there's no flying reindeer. It just, <laughs> we don't know of any. Yeah. Although like... <laughs> I saw that argument a few times too. I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt a lot. Um, I saw that argue uh argument several times about there being like hundreds of thousands of living species, and I was like, yeah, of like bacteria. Well, yeah, it's all like, like bugs, bugs and bacteria, or like creatures <laughs> right. that live like miles beneath the surface of the ocean that we've never right. observed. Like, it's not, it's not flying like reindeer. A fucking three hundred pound mammal walking around. <laughs> All right, well, let's pretend that it's possible that a reindeer could exist that we don't know about. That can fly. (laughs) That can fly. (laughs) According to uh, the – so two different articles articles that I had read, the the Gizmodo one and then there's a Forbes one. One says that uh, Santa would be traveling at 650 miles per second. The other says 6,400 miles per hour. Um, both like significantly faster than the fastest known reindeer. <laughs> yeah. Do those convert to the same thing? They don't. 6,400 miles per hour, 650 miles per second. What's the speed of sound? Uh, 767 miles per hour. So just under. Well, no. But they're no, both per over. hour? Yeah, they're both over. Oh, over the speed of so sound. So Santa... Okay. Yeah, yeah, Santa would have to be traveling faster than the speed of sound to be able to do to be able to hit all the homes. Okay, but six hundred and fifty miles per second, you'd multiply the speed value by thirty six hundred. Yeah, it was right. It was, oh well, Jesus, it's like so much different. I don't understand why it's so different. All we what we know is that it's fast. But it, it's very, that's very like fast. that's two point three million miles per hour, though. It's it's Isn't so it much faster. E to the six, yeah. So why where the heck did sixty four hundred miles per hour come from? Okay, so they're saying that they're assuming he takes roughly fifty percent of the time allotted to travel. So sixty percent or fifty percent of the time that Santa would have would be travel time. They're saying that that would mean he would be traveling about sixty four hundred miles per hour, which like the reason. Oh, okay. So they're basically like correcting somehow. Well, this particular the For- the Forbes article that I'm talking about, like they're trying to make a case for Santa like being able to do it. So I kind of hmm. don't take their. They're numbers. being a little bit more conservative about how fast you. I be think so. Yeah, needs to go, but like significantly okay. so. <laughs> but even if we took that number which is like so much lower even if we went with the 6400 miles per hour number and like said like that's how fast santa was traveling the fastest reindeer like that has ever been recorded was traveling at 50 miles per hour so like like, pretty dang fast for that animal yeah it is fast. And I had read that, like, I had read prior to that, that, like, I think the average was, like, 30 miles per hour or something. So, like, 50 is a pretty fast reindeer. And we're talking about, yeah. you know, 650 miles per second. Like, 
it's not happening. So <laughs> yeah. Um, and I trust the okay. So hold on, hold on. I have been looking at a couple things in the background because did you did you read this like MIT thing? Yeah, some of the same numbers that you use. So I assume somebody got some stuff from here. But this is an from MIT, some like professor or something <laughs> did the math on Santa Claus. And yeah, he says 650 miles per second, 3,000 yeah. times the speed of sound. He's that's the same. That article, that information is almost like copied into the second word, the article. I read that article as well. And like okay. the numbers are almost exactly okay. the same as yeah, the Yeah, and this Gizmodo is like article. conventional reindeer is tops 15 miles per hour. <laughs> right. And then I had read that like some will average like 30, but like the fastest ever was 50. So like. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is that same um, thing. Okay. 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 Good Lord. So then the other <clears throat> thing that I looked at which like all of this is kind of wrapped into the same article is uh, what the weight of the sleigh would be. So like, could like, could the reindeer carry this much weight and like, (laughs) could the sleigh actually travel anywhere? Um, And I will say that they, in this article, don't even talk about the actual physical sleigh, like what that would weigh. They're just going to, they just talked about like what everything on the sleigh would weigh. So whatever is brought up here. Um, assume there's additional weight (laughs) so they say that assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized lego set (laughs) just that on the sleigh would weigh about three hundred and twenty thousand (laughs) tons that is so many legos (laughs) um so land reindeer can pull around 300 pounds which is impressive that isn't it's super impressive i didn't think they would be able to pull that much but nowhere close to three hundred and twenty thousand tons they then go on to say that even assuming that santa's santa's reindeer can carry 10 times the amount that the land reindeer can uh so at three thousand pounds to carry the weight of the sleigh so but really just to carry the weight of the presence santa would need over two hundred thousand reindeer to carry to pull his sleigh the additional weight of the reindeer would then bring the weight of the the presence plus the reindeer up to about I put three hundred and fifty thousand pounds, but I think I meant three hundred and fifty thousand tons. <laughs> um, and they then say that the weight flying through the air at that speed, that weight flying through the air at the speeds discussed above, would create enormous air resistance. And the lead reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second, uh, which essentially would just turn into the land that that lead reindeer bursting into flames. Um, (laughs) And then I think Megan's favorite part of the article was that they ended it with, uh, and I quote, in conclusion, if Santa ever did deliver presents on Christmas Eve, he's dead now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like basically... Santa and his reindeer would just get, like, instantly vaporized. Right. Fair point, though. One of the articles, the Forbes article, did point out that in order for this to, like, actually work, he'd have to have a closed sleigh. So, like, none of this, like, (laughs) one-horse open sleigh bullshit. He'd have to have, like, either a heat shield 
or it would have to be some sort of vehicle that is so aerodynamically advanced that it could withstand the enormous amounts of heat it would experience from like both the rapid acceleration that would have to happen house to house, but also, yeah, like while he was actually traveling between um, houses. So basically they're suggesting that Santa is an alien. Yeah, Santa <laughs> is in the Navy videos. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to come up with this advanced sleigh you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that is another valid santa possibility <laughs> so, so far <laughs> the ones that we've come up with are santa only visits very few children per year because most children are not on the nice list two there are many santas all visiting kids <laughs> and three santa's an alien that's possible yeah i it's gotta like, be one maybe of those things. they're like alien base is like underneath the ocean up in the north pole in the arctic circle that seems right (laughs) that's it i've solved it okay so yes i was like very tickled by the statement like (laughs) he's dead now um (laughs) so one other thing i thought was hey well everybody leaves snacks for santa so i was wondering how many calories uh would santa eat in his journey so i found a couple things here So a survey that was done in 2013 said that 49% of U.S. adults with kids and 22% of adults who don't even have kids in the home plan to leave a snack out for Santa. So like mostly cookies and milk. Uh, So this means that in the U.S. alone, there would be about 36 million households leaving out snacks for Santa. And this little calculation that was done assumes that Santa has to eat three cookies plus one eight-ounce glass of milk, and that means that he would consume at least 275 calories per house, which means that just from his U.S. visit, he would have to consume 9.9 billion calories. (laughs) So That is absurd. (laughs) Yes. So if you subtract out like 10% of them get burned just like digesting. uh, Yeah. In in, like the process of digesting the food, that still means that Santa's getting 8.9 billion calories, which is about 2.7 million times the amount that Santa would need on a daily basis. And even if you spread it out over all of the days until next Christmas, he would still be over by about 7,300 times his <laughs> daily calorie allotment. <laughs> and then they said that, like, even assuming, like, you know, the trip down and up the chimney and putting the presents out, like, there's no way that he would burn enough calories to make up for what he ate each time. Um, and then I saw another estimate for the whole world that seems like it was a little bit more conservative that said more like one cookie per house and that he would consume about 20 billion calories. However, a few places (laughs) raised the idea that maybe Santa is taking the food and drink 
and converting it into fuel for the journey. Like he's not using any sort of like rocket fuel or anything like that. He somehow figured out how to get the energy out of the cookies and milk. And like they <laughs> likened it to Doc Brown like shoving garbage into the time machine and back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> to get the energy to run. <laughs> so maybe Santa is doing that. So I think that's a pretty good exclam- <laughs> exclamation explanation. <laughs> that's so <weird>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of calories that he would have to eat. Although like the eating three cookies and a glass of milk per house is like, I that's a, that's a generous amount for Santa to eat. Like, I feel like I see a lot of things where it's just like a bite is taken out of each cookie or like maybe Santa just takes them and just like chucks it off the roof for the next house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is, I can't even imagine how I would feel eating that many. I mean, you would just die, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like physically you couldn't eat that many calories that fast without like I don't know. Getting at least sick. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think like the weight of the cookies alone was like some just like enormous amount. Like there's no way. I'm sure somebody's done the math on like what's the average size of a human stomach, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's what I – that's next year, people, or some year. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I need to know. Yeah. Although it definitely like throws into, I don't know, stark reality, like just how much – like billions of something are so yeah all right tell me about how santa would fit down the chimney so i i honestly didn't spend a ton of time on this one i don't know megan it looks like you have some thoughts about it too but basically i do (laughs) (laughs) what i the little bit that i did read and i mean everywhere i went it was the same kind of answer where like it wasn't like oh well he just you know, walks through the front door. He doesn't go down the chimney. So I read an article on how stuff works. And basically what they've said is that Santa Claus is using some miniaturization technology. So uh, Michael C. LaBarbera, um, who's a professor of organismal biology and anatomy and geophysical sciences at the university of chicago which is a mouthful Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) says that there's a lot of empty space between the nucleus of an atom and the electrons surrounding it and believes that moving everything closer so you know taking up that empty space could decrease the size of an object without necessarily reducing the mass i I mean sure yeah sounds great but i just don't know how santa does it (laughs) (laughs) and also there's like a damn good reason that all of that space is there because it keeps (laughs) them stable (laughs) so (laughs) so unless you like i don't know i think at some point things would just like explode (laughs) right this is some like fill of the future shit right or um i don't know what other shows i know there have been other movies but they you know just like Boom, shrink ray. That's essentially what I am taking from this. So I made the note that, like, basically, no, he can't fit down the chimney like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I I do have memories of asking my parents because I think we had like a wood stove or something in one of the houses. 
And I was like very confused about like, how's Santa going to get down that? And I can't remember what they said, but (laughs) (laughs) I I remember like having some questions about how that worked. Uh, Okay. So another part of this whole like time dilation idea is Einstein also said that the faster an object travels, the smaller it becomes, which is something called length contraction, apparently. So maybe that's how he just fits in really small places. He gets really tiny. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Which I guess, like, if he gets really tiny, then there'd be less surface area and, like, less friction. So, like, potentially the heat wouldn't be an issue either. Well, and there would be less weight on the sleigh. Can his... Would the reindeer get tiny? Would yeah, the I think everything get would get tiny. I don't know. Mm, this changes everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Santa's real. <laughs> <laughs> so then, in the spirit of 2020, uh, the last question that I wanted to to answer, and and actually, I I think when we first started talking about this, like none of the articles had come out yet. So yeah, um, I wanted to know, like, is Santa gonna get everybody COVID this year? <laughs> Because uh, if so, Santa maybe needs to stay in the North Pole. Yeah. And I think it was like the very next day, like the day or two after uh, Megan and I had talked about this initially, articles started coming out that uh, Dr. Fauci re- had announced that Santa has an innate immunity and cannot spread COVID. So we're all good. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's about all. <laughs> That's about all about that. I mean, yeah. basically, Santa's just safe and we're fine. <laughs> he's just, yeah. I mean, like, Santa's, like, social distancing champion of the world, though. Like, he's not... Right. No one's coming in and out of the the North Pole. Like, he's not... He's not seeing anybody. He's not getting exposed to any germs. And right. I liked the other point that you wrote down was, like, even if he didn't have some sort of, like, innate immunity, like, he's only going into people's houses you know very briefly right right he's <laughs> popping in he's not he's not talking to anybody he's right. dropping gifts and running and like right if so truly like, he were visiting and yeah. you were only there for a thousandth of a second like yeah and like there's no time to be, should be asleep and and more than six feet away from him anyway so right this should not this should be a non-issue and like Probably you'd figure that, you know, Santa's got access to, like, I don't know, some special, like, N95 filtered making elves. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. So we can wear a mask. Slash, one of the other points was, like, if Santa had some sort of, like, super special ship that, like, carried him around and could withstand all this, like, heat and friction, that he would also have to have some sort of, like, super special spacesuit to, like, withstand the forces that he would undergo. So, in that respect, like, that would be sort of, like, a closed environment. So That's true. So, he's not going to get exposed to anything. <laughs> Santa's safe. Santa- if there's a Santa, he is safe. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, that's valuable information for parents, right? If your right. kids are like, oh, no. Like, what if Santa gets sick? Like, we've got the answers for you. <laughs> right. I mean, here's like, the good news, though, is, like, <laughs> the real Santas out there are already living in the household with you. So you're fine. <laughs> uh, that's, like, a fucking terrifying way of putting it. The real Santa is already in the house. <laughs> I'm in the house already. <laughs> I hated that. Uh, 
<laughs> um, yeah. And and really what it comes down to is like, you know, you can come up with all this like, what are the actual physics behind Santa or the science behind Santa? And it's like, there is none. Like, it would just be ridiculous. So like the answer is really like Santa's magic. So that's how he's doing all of these things. But isn't that everything on this show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not real, but if it is real, we can't explain it. (laughs) (laughs) Can't possibly test it. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to wrap us up this time? Oh, I'm scared. I've never done it. Yes, I will do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That wraps up our special Santa Science episode for this year. But remember not to leave after our wrap-up if you want to listen to this episode's Short and Spooky, where we will talk about near-death experiences. So something super cheerful for the holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, Paige. Tune in (laughs) after the new year to hear our first episode of 2021. If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com, which just got a fancy pants reboot. Uh, If you or revamp, I guess. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. Okay. Tell me about death. All right. So <laughs> this is <laughs> two opposite sides of the spectrum. To, like, to fun, be clear. Santa. And then Paige is like, great. Yeah. Let's talk about dying. <laughs> to be clear, I had written this short and spooky for a previous episode. And then we got far too excited about that topic and decided to shove it onto this episode. I did not know at the time that I was researching this that it would come directly after talking about Santa Claus. So I apologize for the drastic topics (laughs) shift. (laughs) We've given you the upper. It's time for the downer. (laughs) (laughs) This is where the spooky comes in in the spooky science sisters. (laughs) All right. So yeah, near-death experiences. Um so for anybody who's had also, them, like, what prompted you? Hold on, hold on. What, like, why did you come up with this idea in the first place, or like, why did you get interested in this for our for our short and spooky? Um, that's a really good question. I honestly <laughs> like don't really know. It just sort of came to me. <laughs> I was just like, well, why don't I do this? I don't this really think there was worse. like anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I felt like there was some sort of reason, but like, I don't know. I just remember like, a, yeah, a few weeks ago, you were like, I'm going to do near death experiences. And then like the next thing I know, there's like four pages of notes on it. So <laughs> did, uh, did something happen? <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't remember what it was. There maybe was okay. something. Maybe I saw it like a movie or a show or something and just was like, oh, I want to talk about that. But okay. here we are. Um, so, so for anybody who's, you know, unfortunately had a near death experience before, um, or fortunately, some of them sound kind of pleasant. They're out of body experiences that many people 
claim to have after some sort of traumatic event. Uh, typically, it's you know a traumatic car accident or a heart attack, um, some sort of an event that brings them near death. About one in ten patients who have had cardiac arrest in a hospital claim to undergo a near death experience, um, which is a lot more than I would have thought. Yeah, I mean ten ten percent. That's like that's a lot considering right. that I think. I'm sure cardiac arrest or whatever accounts for like a significant portion of the deaths in the U.S. So that would suggest right. that there's a lot of people who are experiencing these things. That makes me uncomfortable. It's probably like friggin' sleep paralysis where like way more people than you think experience it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn um, it, Paige. Well, I'm going to assume that you've not ever experienced one. Like you don't have or do you have like a near-death experience oh, story oh no. uh, yeah okay. if i had a near-death experience story don't you think i would have told you about this already well yeah i mean probably but i don't know maybe it's just something you've forgotten to tell me <laughs> by the way by the way oh my god yes i do thanks I for asking died once. <laughs> <laughs> well at least now the <laughs> listeners know we've not had one of these so I'm no. don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> what do you have? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so all the information that I got for this, um, for for the short and spooky, came from uh, an, an article from Scientific American called "What Near Death Experience Re- Experiences Reveal About the Brain." So if you're interested, that's the place to go. But most people who have near death experiences actually do describe them as being pretty pleasant. Um, they describe it as first seeing a tunnel of light. Uh, and then a lot of people experience themselves like floating above their own body. Um, some claim to have met spiritual beings or encounter long, lo- long lost loved ones. And it's frequently explained as something that people feel is realer than real. Um, it doesn't feel like a dream or hallucination to people. It feels very, very intense and very real to them. Many times people's lives change pretty dramatically after near-death experiences so for if you've ever met anyone who's had one um, they say that a lot of people have like career shifts or make changes in their personal relationships afterwards Uh, it is important to note that while a lot of near-death experiences are described as pleasant and described as this like nice floating or you know meeting with um, long lost loved ones some of them aren't so pleasant i didn't read a ton about that i didn't really want to know <laughs> um, yeah i was like don't just don't tell me i don't right. want to know <laughs> but you know most of them it sounds like are pretty aren't bad um but some people have said that they've had some like on or less than pleasant experiences less than pleasant that sounds a little nicer yeah i mean here's the thing i think it i guess and you're probably going to talk about this already but like i mean it can't be that different from if you've had like a bad one or even if you have a good one like it can't be that different from like the freaky shit that people see during sleep paralysis episodes like your brain is freaking out like weird neurons are firing like i could imagine it going both ways like i don't know anyway i'd imagine you're probably right i didn't read about it being similar to sleep paralysis but i did read that it's similar some of the things that people see are very similar to what people see coming in and out of seizures but i will talk about that a little bit okay you know for the most part like 
and not, not to make fun of those who have had them, but I think a lot of people kind of blow it off when people say they've had a near death experience. They say they've seen the light. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You've seen the light. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it kind of, you know, like a cliche thing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like even in the medical world, even in the scientific world, that was kind of the case until about 2013 or 2014, uh, where near death experiences started getting a lot of attention from researcher, researchers. Um, you know, at some point, so many people say it and so many people describe kind of similar experiences that you kind of have to start believing them and at least look into it and start considering the possibility. Um, so researchers believed that people were having something going on, but they just didn't understand what it was and they wanted to understand it. So uh, I read that in 2017, there was a study by two researchers at the University of Virginia and they administered a questionnaire to 122 people who reported having near-death experiences. They asked them to compare memories of their experience with those of both real and imagined events from about the same time. The results from that questionnaire suggested that near-death experiences were recalled with greater vividness in detail than either real or imagined situations were. In short, um, they basically confirmed that when people say that these near-death experiences feel like very real to them, they confirmed that near-death experiences were remembered as being realer than real. <clears throat> so then you read a little bit about like why do these happen or like how do they happen? And they talk about what oxygen shortage does to your brain. And, and this is a quote from that same article. And they say, when the brain is starved of blood flow and oxygen, the patient faints in a fraction of a minute and his or her EEG becomes isoelectric. In other words, flat. This implies that a large scale spatially distributed electrical activity within the cortex, the outermost layer of the brain, has broken down. Like a town that loses power one neighborhood at a time, local regions of the brain go offline, one after another. The mind whose substrate is whichever neurons remain capable of generating electrical activity does what it always does. It tells a story shaped by the person's experiences, memory, and cultural expectations. So basically, to the mind, you know, you have only certain neurons that are still firing, and you are basically seeing whatever you can remember at that time. And to you, because of the way that it's happening and because, I mean, it's happening in your mind still, they do feel like story, real stories, real experiences, and real memories. They say that it, as your brain begins to power back on, you have that same kind of experience. It, of course. Like if it's in, if things are happening in your brain, like it, it's going to feel real even if it's not i mean people right. are you know people are schizophrenic and like hear people talking to them or like people get super sleep deprived and like they talk about hallucinating and stuff so you know <laughs> right of course all these right. things are gonna seem real that doesn't necessarily mean they've actually happened right so many researches uh many researchers have noted that and i mentioned this already a little bit that there are similar similarities between near-death experiences and then a certain class of epilepsy known as complex partial seizures. With those types of seizures, there's this feeling of pure joy. Uh, they say that people have unusual tastes or feelings, uh, pretty vivid deja vu. And these things tend to precede this 
precede the seizures. And, and people will describe some of those things the same way that people describe these near-death experiences. <clears throat> Doctors have now also been able to induce similar feelings to those seizures by electrically stimulating parts of the cortex in epileptic patients. So when doctors do that, they say that patients report bliss, enhanced well-being, and heightened self-awareness or perception of the external world. Exciting the gray matter elsewhere can trigger out-of-body experiences or visual hallucinations. Um, And then in a different quote from that same article, This brute link between abnormal activity patterns, whether induced by the spontaneous disease process or controlled by surgeon's electrode, and subjective experience provides support for a biological, not spiritual origin. The same is likely to be true for near-death experiences. So basically they're just saying like, yeah, if they can make this happen or this is happening to people who have like an understood and you know, it's something they can study, some sort of disease that they can study, then they can at least show that like, you're not leaving your body and like, meeting with Jesus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's likely true that like, the same type of thing is just like your brain is just being simulated or stimulated in the same kind of way that they are. Yeah. When doctors are doing this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is pretty much like what I expected. It's right. Like it's just your brain sort of freaking out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I Well, okay. And like here's the thing that is – here are the thoughts that I have about this. Like, yes, it's freaky. And, and I can see how, you know, some of them maybe did not go super great um, for people, which is, you know, upsetting. But <laughs> – but the the good thing here is that I think like these and like what I've read f- from other people who like have you know near death experiences who like or who's who yeah who have flatlined and like experienced something and then come back like it just all sort of seems like it's in general a pretty peaceful experience so I guess that's like comforting in a way right like even if you don't think that it's if you don't believe that it's some sort of spiritual thing or whatever, like it's just, it's at least comforting to know that when it, if it does happen or when you do die, like it's probably going to be just sort of generally peaceful. Right. And maybe kind of nice. So. Yeah. I think there's some comfort in knowing yeah. <laughs> that it's pleasant. <laughs> case Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, Gigawater gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul mouth comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take the aliens did not build the pyramids, Serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking. Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghost of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. 
If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay on the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. 